Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 86th edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is EFF and the ACLU challenge of government's warrantless searches of phone and laptops at the border. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsors. We would like to thank our sponsor, SiteLock, the global leader in website security solutions. Learn more at sitelock.com forward slash legal forward slash digital detectives. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, PINow.com. If you need a private investigator you can trust, visit PINow.com to learn more. Our guest today is Sophia Cope, a staff attorney at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. The nonprofit advocacy organization works at the intersection of civil liberties and technologies. Thanks for being with us today, Sophia. Thanks for having me. Sophia, start us out at the beginning here. Who are the plaintiffs in the Al-Assad versus Nielsen case, and what is your role in this case? Sure. Well, I'm one of the lawyers that uh, represents the plaintiffs. We are working along with the ACLU to represent 11 plaintiffs. Uh, Ten are American citizens, and one is a lawful permanent resident or green card holder. And uh, they come from all over the country and from different backgrounds. We have a couple journalists, a NASA engineer, uh, and a former Army captain, to name a few. And all had their mobile devices searched and confiscated by border agents when returning to the U.S. from uh, overseas travel. So tell us a little more, Sophia, like why are they in this lawsuit and who actually are they suing? Sure. Well, I'll take the second question first. Uh, We are suing the Department of Homeland Security as well as its component agencies, Customs and Border Protection, or CBP, and Immigration and Customs Enforcement, also known as ICE. So this case really is about challenging what we see as an egregious invasion of personal privacy Uh, Technology has changed the way we live in unprecedented ways. Uh, We all carry smartphones, laptops, and other mobile devices when we travel. And, of course, they contain our entire lives. So all the emails, text messages, photos, apps, etc. that we have on our devices reveal highly personal information about us. So that could be our financial status, our medical conditions, our romantic interests. Uh, and even, of course, our political beliefs. So we want to make sure that the government can't access this information without any court oversight. Well, lawsuits have a number of possible goals, but what's the particular goal of this one? Well, in short, we are asking for a warrant. Specifically, we are asking that the Massachusetts District Court, which is where we filed the lawsuit, rule that the First and Fourth Amendments to the U.S. Constitution require border agents, so CBP or ICE agents, to obtain a warrant from a judge based on a finding that there is probable cause to believe that a device contains evidence of a violation of an immigration or customs law before searching a traveler's device. Hmm. Well, well, Sophia, I was in the Merchant Marine many, many years ago and sailed around, so I've, I've had customs search on the ships and all that stuff. But can you tell our listeners a little more about what the rules for searching and device searching at the border and what guidelines the government is currently following anyway? Sure. So CBP and ICE are operating under an old 
Supreme Court interpretation of the Fourth Amendment, which basically says that border agents can search travelers and their belongings at the border. So the border includes the land borders with Canada and Mexico or the equivalent of the border, which are basically international airports as the first point of connection to the United States that they can search these travelers at the border without a court order or any suspicion of wrongdoing. So they can conduct completely random searches of uh, travelers' belongings and even actually their persons. So that's why, you know, we, sometimes people go through pat-downs. And our position is that that rule makes sense for things like suitcases. Uh, you know, we have our toiletries and our clothes in there. We might have a couple personal items, but by and large, the privacy interests in things like suitcases and backpacks are pretty minimal. And so that that rule makes sense. But our position is that it doesn't make sense for things like smartphones and laptops that can and do contain an unprecedented amount of highly sensitive information about us. Hmm. Just a a little follow-on on that. Is there any sort of a distance limitation at all for these searches? In other words, if you're driving home, can they stop you? (laughs) No. I mean, this rule is limited to the moment the person is attempting to re-enter the United States. Now, sometimes we do hear about this 100-mile sort of, you know, range that agents have, but that's, uh, the Supreme Court has limited that mainly for immigration enforcement, so basically to catch undocumented folks who have crossed the border but weren't actually caught at the border. And then there are higher standards that agents must follow to actually effectuate those kinds of stops and searches. Good. So basically it's a different area. It's a related but different area of law. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Another one of those same things but different. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. At least 80 of the 100 biggest law firms in the country have been hacked since 2011. Protect your firm and your clients from cyber attacks with SiteLock. Their industry-leading cloud-based suite of website security solutions includes website scanning, web application firewall, including DDoS mitigation, and 24-7, 365 U.S.-based customer support. Give your firm and your clients peace of mind knowing their information is secure. Learn more at sitelock.com forward slash legal forward slash digital detectives. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our topic is EFF and the ACLU challenge government's warrantless searches of phones and laptops at the border. Our guest today is Sophia Cope, a staff attorney at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Sophia, how prevalent are the searches and seizures of digital devices at the border? I know lawyers in particular worry about it, but how prevalent are they? So CBP released statistics recently. So for fiscal year 2017, so that was from basically fall of 2016 through the summer of this year, uh, border agents conducted over 30,000 device searches. And that, according to CBP's own numbers, is six times the number of searches that they conducted for fiscal year 2012. So we have, I mean, we've seen the trend increase dramatically. I mean, it's, it's, it's obvious from CBP's own numbers and even from just anecdotally um, in press reports, it does seem like this is happening more frequently. Well, I know since a lot, hopefully a lot of folks have pins or passwords or, you know, something that, that are locking their devices to stop access, but... Can you refuse to unlock those devices if the the agent asks you to because they want to search through these things? I'm I'm sure 
they don't have a good sense of humor when it comes to that. So, <laughs> so what kind of consequences? Usually can you not. Expect? <laughs> yeah, certainly. I'm sure there's consequences if you you tell them there's no way in hell I'm gonna you know unlock that phone. Yeah. So uh, there's one point of clarification that I do want to make. So agents do have a right to inspect what we often say are the physical aspects of a device. So if they want to see, for example, whether or not there are hidden drugs in the battery compartment of a laptop, they can ask you to hand over your device and then they can look at like you know, open the laptop and look at the physical aspects of it. Or if maybe you have some sort of blade or something hidden in your phone, um, your phone case, right? Uh, so in terms of refusing to actually just physically turn over your device, you can't do that. Otherwise, that's, that's really going to be problematic in the first instance, right? Because they do have a right to check the, the physical parts of the device. Right, right. But in terms of refusing to unlock your phone or hand over your PIN or password, you actually do have a right to refuse. But you really do have to think about what the consequences are. Now, if you're an American citizen um, or, or a legal permanent resident, agents can't refuse entry to you, right? So they can confiscate your device, but they can't say, okay, you, you, we're not going to let you in unless you unlock your device. But if you are a visitor you know, or, or a foreign national to the United States, yes, of course, you can refuse to unlock your device or provide your password, but then that really can end up being a grounds for just outright refusal of entry. Um, and so we really do encourage people to think about, you know, basically what their risk tolerance is. But like I said, I mean, at the end of the day, you can refuse to do that, but there are consequences. And the most, the most common one is confiscation for an extended period of time, for weeks or months, even because agents typically want to see if they can frankly, crack the password. So one of our clients actually had one of his cell phones confiscated earlier this year and just recently uh, got it back. And so that's, uh, I think it turns out that that's about a 10 or 11 month detention of his device. So it, it can be pretty significant. Wow. Well, not to use forbidden words, but is there any factually based reason to think that the government is targeting persons of color or Muslims? Yeah, that, that's a good question. That's a tough question. So unfortunately, after President Trump's first travel ban went into effect in January, we did see anecdotal evidence that Muslims were being targeted for device searches. We received a lot of inquiries directly at EFF, ACLU did as well. And of course, there are lots of news reports to that effect. And in fact, a few of our clients are Muslim, but we don't have any solid statistics on this. And DHS doesn't, as far as we know, keep statistics. But Senators Wyden and Senator Paul actually have a bill. Uh, it's called Protecting Data at the Border Act. And fundamentally, it would require a warrant for device searches. But also what it would do is that it would require DHS to keep statistics on the perceived race and ethnicity of travelers who are subjected to these device searches. Oh, that's, that would be great. So, Sophia, why should we consider the information that's on our digital devices to be private. I'm sure there's somebody in the government somewhere that says, well, <laughs> it's not private, and that's why we have a right to go after it. Yeah, so it basically goes back to what I said earlier, is that really, you know, modern mobile devices contain the most intimate aspects of our lives, 
And they contain a, a lot of information, too, not just talking about sort of the type of information, but just a lot of information. And, and that information can go back not just, you know, a few days or weeks, but for years and even decades, right, depending how, on how long you've, you've had, let's say, like a, an email account, for example. And importantly, we're not arguing that the government can't ever access this information. We're just saying that the Fourth Amendment requires the government to meet a higher burden. Uh, and that, again, is that they need to have probable cause that the device contains evidence related to a violation of immigration or customs law. Uh, and that they have to go to a judge and, and convince the judge that they've met that burden and the judge has to sign off on these kinds of searches. But that means you're going to be detained at the border longer then, right? Well, that, that's, a, that's, a great logistical, <laughs> that's a great logistical question. And so actually, so there's sort of, there's two answers or two responses to that. One is that the sort of method of getting a warrant itself has been enhanced by technology. So in the interior of the country, police often can call judges or email judges and share their basis for probable cause, and judges very quickly can sign off on warrants. The other aspect of our lawsuit is that we're actually arguing that confiscations of devices can happen without a warrant. There just has to be the underlying probable cause to believe that there's you know, relevant gotcha. data on the device. And so then that would mean, of course, that the device can be held without a warrant. And then that would give the border agents time to go to the judge and say, okay, now can we get the warrant to do the actual search? Gotcha. Okay, well, before we move on to our last segment, let's take a quick commercial break. Does your law firm need an investigator for a background check, civil investigation, or other type of investigation? PINow.com is a -a one-of-a-kind resource for locating investigators anywhere in the U.S. and worldwide. The professionals listed on PINow understand the legal constraints of an investigation, are up-to-date on the latest technology, and have extensive experience in many types of investigation, including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today our topic is EFF and the ACLU challenge government's warrantless searches of phones and laptops at the border. Our guest today is Sophia Cope, a staff attorney at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. So, Sophia, if the government searches my digital devices at the border, what happens to the data that is collected in that search? So that's a great question. And unfortunately, it's hard to know specifically for any given traveler. But we can look at CBP and ICE's policies themselves. And they state very explicitly that the agencies can freely share this data with other federal, state, local law enforcement agencies. So it is really concerning that the border agents themselves like at the border can see all of our personal information. But it is more concerning if they, in fact, go ahead and copy this information and share it with other agencies. Well, I know, Sophia, we lecture a lot on security and those types of things and, you know, how to how to protect your your computers and mobile devices and all that. But specifically, as we're going across the border, what would you tell our listeners would be some of the best ways to keep your digital devices safe from these searches? Sure. Um, so the short answer is minimize the data you carry across the border and for the data you do carry, protect it. So that's typically done with strong passwords and encryption. But 
there's a big caveat to this. This advice really isn't a one-size-fits-all piece of advice. Uh, what you do really does depend on your goals for entering the United States, your immigration status, as I mentioned before, and uh, frankly, your risk tolerance. So we published a travel guide in March of this year, 2017, that explains all the factors people should consider and the pros and cons of various data protection strategies. Uh, it's called Digital Privacy at the U.S. Border, and you can find it on the EFF website, EFF.org. Uh, and one point of caution, though, the, the, a key thing that we tell everyone is don't ever lie to federal agents or try to hide information that can get you into serious trouble. <laughs> that's that's why that's why Sharon carries bail money when we travel. For me, <laughs> for him, yes. Like, please, please make sure to point that out. Uh, <laughs> I have actually read that document, Sophia, and it's really good. So I recommend that often. And I know I've blogged about it. it. It really is a nice little guide, and it's a nice companion piece to what the New York Times wrote on the same subject. And the advice of the two documents side by side is it's pretty much the same. I'd like to thank you, both of us would, for joining us today. This is a really fascinating case, and I we certainly believe that it was a case that needed to be brought and hope that we get a little bit more protections around some of this stuff. But your expertise here was invaluable. So thanks for making time to be with us. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Well, that does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. And you can find out more about Sensei's digital forensics, information technology, and cybersecurity services at senseient.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.